We're in a sermon series entitled uh, Hungry. It's a little play on words. We're, in this, we're liturgically in following three significant feasts. This is called the Feast of Trinity. So you may have heard some references to the Holy Trinity. Uh, in our songs and in our lessons. So hunger is satisfied by feast. We're asking how some of the hungers that each of us have are satisfied by our Christian faith. This Sunday, we're going to look at our hunger for compassion. And when I mean compassion, I mean both the compassion that we want to experience. I want to receive uh, your compassion. I am, after we explore our passage, I'm going to make an application to our passage to some of the disturbing events we've witnessed this past year. I, I ask for your compassion because uh, this is just a fraught area and opinions, opinions uh, differ widely. And I'm going to address these uh, events these past couple of, this past week, not as a cultural critic and not as a social activist, but as a pastor and how we should think about and pray about uh, what we are witnessing. I ask for your compassion for me. So we not only want to receive compassion, but I want to be a compassionate person. I know that I'm not always. Uh, quarantine has not helped my level of compassion. It's easy to become a little bit short, a little impatient. So not only do I want to receive your compassion, but I want to be a, a channel for compassion as well. And most of us, at least myself, you know, I, as I grow older, I don't feel myself becoming more and more compassionate. Maybe I need to take a lesson from Dean and Nan's uh, book. It seems like they have become a little bit more compassionate uh, through these tribulations. Our passage this morning is a great run, great passage, Romans. I should say all passages in the Bible are great. So this is one of the many great passages in the Bible, Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 9. I want to start with looking at this first sentence. Therefore, since we have been justified, I hope you all are not bored by my reference to the original language, but I kind of like it. Uh, this is what the language, this is what the passage looks like in Koine or Common Greek, the language in which the Bible was written. And if you were to have, to have a wooden translation, this is how it would be translated. We have been justified by faith, peace we have with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I highlight this so that you can see that this, these six words, since we have been justified, are are all translated from this first word, diakothentes, which is the word that leads the sentence. And, that, and justified, or to say it in Greek, diakothentes, is the quality or state, and this is a mouthful, I'm going to explain a little bit of what I mean, is the quality or state of juridical correctness with a focus on redemptive action. Now, that's full of a lot of words for your SAT quiz. What does juridical action mean? It means that this is oriented to the court of law, part of our quarantine. Um, actually, our one and only quarantine binge has been suits. Pretty good. There's a couple of scenes you have to fast forward, so it doesn't have come with a carte blanche pastoral recommendation, but a... Uh, a pretty good series about two brilliant lawyers in a high-powered Manhattan firm. They argue on behalf of their clients in the court of law. The jury deliberates, the jury delivers a verdict, and their verdict declares the juridical, there's that word, the juridical correctness or their justification 
for the client or obviously not. Uh, maybe they're found guilty and not justified. So uh, justified has to do with the court of law, juridical correctness. It's a very important word in the Bible, and it is closely related to an equally important word, and that is the word righteous. So take a look at those two words, dakaiothentes, which is justified. This triangle is a D, that o, W is an O. Dakaiothentes, justified, is, comes from the root dakaios, which means righteous. So let me show you this in our passage. In verse 7, you see, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person. That word, a righteous person, is translated dikaios, the righteous person. And the word, therefore, since we have been justified, is the word you find in verse 1. So to be justified is not just an absence of guilt. This is where our analogy of a courtroom breaks down. To be justified is not just the absence of guilt, but rather the presence of righteousness, to be credited, counted as righteous. That is what it means to be diocathentes or to be justified. Now, I want to draw our attention to preposition. This preposition is a very important one. That little word by is going to tell us how, on what basis, on what grounds are we declared righteous. So there's the question that I want to move to. By what means are we justified or are we declared righteous? Now the Bible is very clear about a couple of things. Both the Bible and the common and common sense confirm that God is righteous. God is righteous, one example of many, many. Take a look at that passage. God is righteous. Actually, one of the names for Jesus is the righteous one. He is referred to the righteous one in Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 7, and elsewhere. God is righteous. Jesus is righteous. Unfortunately, the Bible and common sense are equally clear that we are not. No one is righteous, no, not one. That does not mean we are, none of us are as bad as you could possibly be. That doesn't make any sense. We're not all as wicked as we could possibly be, but none of us is as righteous as we ought to be. And this passage expands this little word, unrighteous. And I highlight these words for you to, unrighteousness includes weakness, ungodliness, and sinfulness. So, back to our question, by what means are we justified or are we declared righteous? Answer, first answer, not by our own righteousness. We are not righteous. So let's return back to this preposition. We are justified by what? By faith. By faith in who or faith in what? Faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Can we be, get a little more specific? Jesus did a lot of things. He's taught. Are we to have faith in his teaching? He performed a lot of miracles. Are we to have faith in his miracles? What specifically about Jesus 
justifies us or makes us righteous? It's a great question. I'm glad you asked. It is faith in his death, which is for the ungodly. Stated again, he died for us. We are justified by his blood. The question raised by this little preposition, by, we are justified by what? By faith is answered by this equally important preposition, for. Christ died for sinners. So back to the question that I've offered, by what means are we justified or declared righteous? We, ungodly, weak sinners, are declared righteous through faith in the blood Jesus shed, in the death Jesus died for us. And I want to return to this passage because I want you to connect the dots. I want you to be assured that this this truth of Jesus taking the place for sinners and our faith in him as a necessary quality for our justification before God is not some unique idea that's held by a few specific Christians or brands of denomination. No, this is not a theological idea that somebody cooked up. The justification of sinful humans by the death and shed blood of Jesus is a central theme, not the only theme, but a central theme to the Bible. And it is a satisfactory question to one of the most important questions in the Bible. That is, how shall I be saved? How can unrighteous humanity stand before a righteous God? Answer, God the just is also God the justifier who declares us righteous on account of Christ's blood shed and his life given for us. So I'd like you to look at this passage for just a moment and become convinced in your own mind that the Bible clearly holds out faith in the shed blood of Christ as the means for our justification before God. Now, the passage intermingles some results of justification. I'm going to shift there. I'm going to highlight two results of our justification that are highlighted by this passage and then move to a third result of our justification that is not highlighted by this passage but appropriate for this day. So the first result of our justification, we have peace with God. This is stated again by weak stand in his grace. Grace is normally referred to as a gift, but here grace is referred to as a quality, as in we stand in his good graces. We are at peace with God or we stand in his uh, good graces. The second result is peace with God and second result is perspective. Perspective on sufferings, knowing that we are justified by faith and loan, we are matured by life's challenges and tribulations. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character, hope. Hope does not put us to shame. I reference Dean and Nan's testimony as evidence of this pattern in the life of the believer. 
to results of our justification, peace with God and perspective on suffering. But I want to focus on a third result of our justification by faith alone, not mentioned in this passage, but I think appropriate for the day, and that is compassion towards others. Dean uh, Peter Moore was the dean of my seminary. He was the founder of Focus Ministry, a fellowship of universities, Christian, Christian schools and universities. This is the other organization that Peter, works, Peter Schwanda works for as well. Uh, Peter Moore was a, uh, there's a phrase in the Bible called uh, referring to people of a certain age and quality as an oak of righteous. And Peter was just that. He was a mentor to many. Indirectly, he was a mentor to me. He mentored uh, John Yates, uh, took uh, my mentor under his wing. So the impact of Peter Moore's life is really incalculable. I took a class with Peter Moore. on. He was, as I said, the dean of my seminary. And he said, without justification by faith, you will come to hate the people that you minister to. That is the practical, the pastoral implication that I want to focus on for us, compassion. Now, while this comment is addressed to pastors, I think it is broadly applicable to all. Without a firm conviction that you and I are justified by faith in Christ alone, you will come to hate those around you. Conversely, with a firm conviction that you and I are justified by faith, you will have the capacity for compassion and love for those who are around you. The person who believes that they are justified by faith alone in Christ works alone knows that they are not all alone, that he or she, just like everybody else, is weak, ungodly, and a sinner. And so it follows naturally that those who know they are sinners will have compassion, love, not impatience for other sinners. Many of you know that I am pursuing a degree from Catholic University. Catholic University is in Northeast DC. To get to Catholic University, one must go down south down North Capitol, and exit on New York Avenue and make a quick left on 395. The intersection between North Capitol and New York is a bad intersection. Boarded up shops, evidence of drug and alcohol abuse, homelessness, who knows what else. Many of those who loiter there are of an ethnic minority. My attitude towards those people loitering on that corner in the past has not been very charitable. I would find myself thinking, and I can't confess I've actually said it, but the words are not far behind as someone would knock on my window asking for a five or a 10. Get a job, I would think. A little self-discipline, that's what you need. I have come to reconsider and reevaluate my lack of charity. I took a class from, in my degree, entitled Ministry in a multicultural setting. And here's what I realized through this class. 
And I bet this applies not to all of us, but to many of us. What I realize is that I come from a long lineage of upper middle class. I was born, Jennifer and I were born in the mid-1970s. Our parents were born in the mid-1940s. My grandparents were born in 19, early 1900s. Their grandparents, my great-great-grandparents, my great-grandparents were born in 1880. None of my family was phenomenally wealthy, but each member of that family tree was firmly in the middle class. Each parent provided for the generation to follow. Parents provided education. Uh, parents provided structure. The parents of one generation often would provide uh, money, inheritance, even land in order to set up the next generation for success. And so here is the light bulb for me living in 1974, the beneficiary of four generations of accrued wealth is that I didn't get here by myself. And the equal and opposite truth of those who face challenges, significant challenges, did not get there by themselves either. This class opened my eyes to not just the possibility, but the inevitability that the practices, the discriminatory practices of our past, and you do not have to back up many generations to encounter very discriminatory practices, have a negative impact on the present for some just like my upper middle class heritage has a positive impact on me. Let me go back to this corner. What am I recommending? What am I suggesting? Am I suggesting that you go participate in a protest? Am I suggesting that you take some sort of action? No. I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole. But I, what I am commending to you, I think maybe a little bit harder. And I guess what I'm commending to you is when you come across corners like this and people that inhabit those corners, resist the uncharitable thought Get a job. All you need is some self-discipline. And instead, ask yourself, I wonder how they got there. Ask yourself, I wonder how that, I wonder about their childhood. I wonder if their mom tucked them in. I wonder if their dad provided for them like my dad provided for me. I wonder if their parents provided for an education like my parents provided for mine. I wonder what their childhood was like and how their childhood was likely very different from mine through no fault of their own. And then I begin to wonder what would I be like if my childhood was like theirs. And instead of dismissing uh, whoever it is with a uncharitable thought. 
I try to offer a quiet, compassionate prayer. Now, will that change the world? Mm, not likely. But it is changing me, making me into a more compassionate person. And I think that has to be a step in the right direction. So let me return to this pastoral implication appropriate for this moment. Without justification by faith, you will forget that you and others around you are weak, ungodly sinners. And if we can remember that we share in the vast humanity of the human race, which is all defined by its common brokenness, it is natural. That no, those who know they are sinners will have compassion and not impatience for other sinners. <laughs>